Welcome to the Victorian Aboriginal News Referendum 23 Tapes podcast. I'm your host, Charles Parkiner. Victorian Aboriginal News acknowledges and pays respect to traditional owners and custodians across Australia. We acknowledge the elders who have gone before, those who currently lead their communities and those who will follow in years and generations to come. During today's podcast, I'm taking a somewhat different approach to things. This time, going directly to the source of misinformation which is at the heart of some campaigners and media commentators. And in this case, we're going to look at and listen to a video that was published at the beginning of April this year on YouTube by Sky News Australia. It features Andrew Bolt, who, for those of you who may not know, is a right-wing social and political commentator who's come out vocally against The Voice, as is his defensible and justifiable right. It's important to note that I'm really okay with people voting no and being against a First Nations voice to Parliament. That's their choice. And this country of ours is a democracy which is based fundamentally on an individual having a right to their own opinion and going into the polling booth, ticking whatever they want to tick. But it's when deliberate misinformation in the form of half-truths and outright lies is presented as authoritative commentary by a media organisation, that's when things need to be addressed. And this is precisely what Andrew Bolt and Sky News have done in this commentary that was posted to YouTube. Titled, The Voice to Parliament is Already Falling Apart, it's a clear demonstration of the propaganda, and there's nothing else it can be called but propaganda, that Australians will unfortunately need to deal with in the lead-up to the referendum. Andrew starts off with this. But first, the Prime Minister's racist plan for a voice to Parliament is falling apart. And no wonder. I'm about to show you what happens already in one of our biggest councils when their Aboriginal advisory body speaks. Now, this video is amazing, and what it shows is a warning to us all of worse to come. But to set it up, I said the Prime Minister's plan, Anthony Albanese's plan for his kind of Aboriginal-only parliament written into our constitution is already falling apart. It's disappointing, really, that this commentary of Andrew's is starting off with a clear mistruth in stating, quote, a kind of Aboriginal-only parliament written into our constitution, end quote. First up, it isn't a parliament or even kind of parliament. It's an advisory body. And according to the proposed amendments announced by the Prime Minister on the 23rd of March this year, the voice, I quote, may make representation to the Parliament and the Executive Government of the Commonwealth, end quote. Now, this is precisely the same mistruth on which Scott Morrison was caught out when he characterised the voice as a third chamber of Parliament, a total mischaracterisation. And the voice is not Aboriginal only. It is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. Now, just adding on to the previous point, though, also on the 23rd of March, the Prime Minister announced a document the design principles of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. It states clearly on page two, the voice will not have a veto power. That clearly reinforces it as an advisory body, which is not a third chamber or a kind of parliament. And that's not just because of the obviously deceitful claims the government's making to sell it. 
lies, really. I mean, just today we had an Aboriginal politician, a minister in the Aboriginal government, a min in the Albanese government, getting ahead of myself, a minister in the Albanese government. Just here, by the way, Andrew is referring to Linda Burney MP, the Minister for Indigenous Australians. You know, with a big white car and all the trimmings, telling Parliament, we need this voice, because people like her have no voice. I mean, she's saying that which is actually standing in our parliament on TV telling us what to do. But under our constitution, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians ha have had no voice, no say in the matters that have affected our communities. Are my eyes and ears deceiving me? She has no voice. She's standing in parliament using that voice right now. I wish I had a voice like that in Parliament. This is such a farce. Well, it is not a farce, and Andrew is actually sidestepping one of the critically important aspects of the voice, which is that one or even ten First Nations federal members of Parliament cannot speak on behalf of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They can certainly do their best to represent the best interests of First Nations peoples in Parliament, but cannot legitimately speak on their behalf. And this is precisely why, even in 2021, with the co-design report prepared by Professors Langton and Kalmer, it was proposed that the membership of the National Voice be drawn from and appointed by members of the regional voices that would first need to be established across the country. But the voice is also falling apart because today the Prime Minister was directly contradicted by two more of his own pro-voice constitution experts. Now, they keep trying to warn him, these people. You're wrong, Prime Minister, about this voice. When you say no, it won't have much power. And I've got to ask, does Anthony Albanese really not know how his voice will work, or is he lying? For instance, Albanese has falsely suggested that this Aboriginal-only voice of the Parliament, unelected, by the way, just on this point, the constant claims being made that the voice will be unelected or appointed by politicians or bureaucrats, let's just understand that this is not going to be the case. Once again, referring to the design principles of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, released on the 23rd of March by the Prime Minister, it states, and I quote, Members of the voice would be selected by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, not appointed by the executive government. Close quote. This is what happened with the First People's Assembly of Victoria. Members elected by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and is precisely how the South Australian voice to Parliament is being determined. Elections. Free elections by First Nations peoples of First Nations peoples for First Nations peoples. But two of the government's own law experts on this panel of constitutional experts on The Voice have said, look, actually, that's wrong. That's not what the actual words of this plan change to our constitution says at all. Professor Greg Craven says, no, 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 this voice will be able to comment on everything from submarines to parking tickets, and the courts will force the governments to listen. There are actually a number of discrepancies in those comments from Andrew. Firstly, he did get something right in that Professor Greg Craven is indeed a member of the Constitutional Expert Group. This group, 
which consists of six other leading constitutional experts, was established by the federal government specifically to provide the referendum working group with legal support on constitutional matters relating to the referendum. Now, what needs to be clearly understood is that every one of those seven constitutional experts is under strict confidentiality when it comes to speaking about what they have advised either the referendum working group or any other member of the government. So from where those paraphrased quotes presented by Andrew come, here at Victorian Aboriginal News, we'd certainly love to know. Now, onto the point Andrew made about the voice being able to comment on everything from submarines to parking tickets. That's yet another piece of misinformation, and rather than belabour this, I'll quote directly from a document dated the 31st of March 2023 from the University of Melbourne's Centre for Comparative Constitutional Studies. In that document, titled Referendum on the Voice Info Sheet, it states, I quote, The voice may make representation. In other words, it can give its views from the standpoint of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, but it cannot itself make binding decisions. End quote. It goes on to say, quote, The representations must be about matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So I'm not too sure about submarines and parking tickets. I won't be able to advise the government on anything other than, you know, Aboriginal policies. The voice is not about defence policy. It's not about foreign affairs policy. It's not about uh, these issues. Uh, the voice is about issues that directly affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. In that, yes, the Prime Minister is correct and is definitely keeping in line with what has been put forward with the proposed amendments for the Constitution. And that is that the voice may only make representations on matters that relate to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. But Albanese then said something else, also false. He said, well, actually, don't worry about that, you know, because the clever way that we've now reworded what we're going to vote on in the referendum, we've reworded this, means Parliament can always control the voice, what it looks into. Well, aside from clearly contradicting his earlier comment that the voice could involve itself with submarines and parking tickets, at Victorian Aboriginal News, we're still trying to locate any comment from the Prime Minister saying that Parliament can control the voice and what it looks into. The only clear explanation of this is in the third subsection of the proposed amendment to the Constitution, and that states, I quote, the Parliament shall, subject to this Constitution, have power to make laws with respect to matters relating to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, including its composition, functions, powers and procedures. End quote. Essentially, this means that the Parliament can pass ordinary legislation to set up the voice, and it is in this setting up that we will see legislation state clearly that once again, the voice may make representation on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and that it will not have veto power over the government. But now two more of his own constitutional experts advising him on the voice say, well, that is actually false as well. Professors Anne Toomey and George Williams both say, well, no, 
uh, the parliament can't actually change what's in the constitution. That's the point of putting things in the constitution. It puts them beyond the parliament. Quite frankly, I'm not sure what Andrew is getting at here because he seems to be actually supporting the Prime Minister and the government in the push to have the voice embedded within the Constitution. The reason the government wants it embedded within the Constitution is to ensure that future governments cannot dissolve the voice simply because they may not like to hear what the voice has to tell them. So... How much more warning do voters need that what Albanese is planning is actually dangerous? Something that the parliament, once it's in there, the parliament can't change. It'll be much more radical than what he claims. In fact, our Human Rights Commissioner has now said exactly that. Lorraine Finlay warns, this voice is racist. It inserts race into the Australian Constitution in a way that undermines the foundational human rights principles of equality and non-discrimination. And it creates constitutional uncertainty in terms of its interpretation and operation. I'll point out here that Andrew is actually totally correct in reporting those comments from the Australian Human Rights Commissioner Lorraine Finlay. What Andrew neglected to say, though, was that subsequent to the Commissioner's opinion piece, in an exclusive report, The Guardian wrote that in a joint statement from five former Australian Human Rights Commissioners, Lorraine Finlay made serious error. The five former Commissioners, Edward Santow, Chris Sadotti, Cathy Branson, Brian Burdekin and Graham Innes, said, Finlay's view is likely to mislead Australians who will be required to vote on this proposal at a referendum and went on to say that an Indigenous voice to Parliament would be a powerful way of upholding human rights in Australia. So it's racist in principle and uncertain and unworkable in practice. Well, as we've seen, those two points are clearly incorrect. According to five former human rights commissioners, the voice is definitely not racist. And with appropriate legislation based on the design principles announced on the 23rd of March, the voice is eminently workable. So whatever the Prime Minister says, this voice is going to give an unelected and unsackable bunch of Aboriginal activists the right to make the government and its public service listen to them before taking any action on potentially anything. Okay, that's a bit of rapid fire from Andrew, but again, as we've discussed, all of those points are totally incorrect. It will be an elected body. Legislation for The Voice will definitely provide a means by which members who are found to be guilty of offences can be sacked. There may well be what Andrew deems to be activists within The Voice's membership, but each and every one of them will have been elected by their own communities and have the right to speak on behalf of those communities. Fourthly, once again, Andrew has neglected to include the Torres Strait Islanders. I won't comment further on that. And lastly... We have already determined that The Voice will only be able to make representation on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and will not have veto power. Now, if you don't think, oh, well, you know, that's not really a problem, you know, won't work out that way. 
Well, I want to play you now a recording of a council meeting that was held in Liverpool yesterday. Just a normal council meeting. Now, in order to guarantee editorial integrity and actually even demonstrate the rather strange lengths to which some commentators will go in order to justify themselves, I'm going to continue playing the audio of the clip as posted by Sky News Australia. In this next section, Andrew provides commentary on a Liverpool Council meeting, and it's here that the commentary takes an ultimately interesting turn. And they got to a bit where they discuss a plan from their own Aboriginal Consultative Committee. It's to put up signs around Liverpool telling people that they're walking on the lands of one of the Aboriginal tribes that were originally there. Now, you'll first hear a member of this council suggest, wait a minute, hang on, that, that can't be accurate. There were, in fact, other tribes also in this area. We talk about the Cabrabal people of the Darug Nation, but we know there are other Aboriginal cultures that are also engaged in the Liverpool LGA. So I'm not saying I just need extra information to know that um, we're, we're covering all our bases. Oh, she was absolutely correct, of course, and the council then voted to postpone a decision on these signs, which are racist, by the way, while they check the accuracy of them. The signs being discussed are actually far from racist, and I'm totally unclear as to how Andrew defines the word racist. In fact, what was being proposed was a sign on the city outskirts welcoming people to the lands of the traditional owners. These are the same type of signs that local government authorities across Australia are erecting as this country slowly comes to grip with the well-proven fact that terra nullius did not apply to this country. Also, it's very important to note that Andrew has misrepresented the correct sequence of events. In his commentary, he says that a vote was taken to postpone the decision in order to check the accuracy of the signs, quite correct, but then goes on to say, I quote, but then two of the councillors, they weren't happy. Close quote. In fact, the vote to postpone the decision was actually taken after the two unhappy councillors spoke. But then two of the councillors, they weren't happy that these elected councillors of Liverpool hadn't simply done exactly what they were told to do by these unelected Aboriginal advisers. Even if the, what they were being told to do was wrong, the signs were wrong. Med, Ned, Ned Manoon, he's a good man, he was amazed. And have a listen to this. Yep. If we're going to do that, then I would like it uh, minuted that uh, I'm expressing my disappointment that Council has been an inability to take the advice of the Aboriginal Consultative Committee. I'm highlighting I mean, a, a sort of a concern in in the wake of, of this discussion, yeah. right? Um, because we want to make sure that the Consultative Committee, which is an official committee of Council and which has, hmm. you know, has that responsibility, is not made to, um, you know, make me to seem like just uh, something that is not respected. And all of a sudden, everyone's being guilted into how dare you not uh, accept this. Sorry, it's inappropriate. 
Now, what do we learn from that? Well, one of the things I learned is that those clips played by Andrew as being representative of the discussion within Liverpool Council on that matter amount to only one minute and three seconds of what was in reality a somewhat robust ten-minute and eight-second discussion. A ten-minute and eight-second discussion that demonstrated our system of government at work and that Liverpool Council did not immediately acquiesce to the comments of its Aboriginal Consultative Committee. We learned that there are already in this country elected officials so intimidated and awed by unelected Aboriginal advisers that they'd rather just do what they say even when it's wrong. The elected officials to whom Andrew is referring there actually expressed their concerns in an appropriate manner, precisely as would be expected of an elected official. It should also be noted that the Liverpool Council Aboriginal Consultative Group is just one of 12 consultative committees that council has established for the specific purpose of providing advice and recommendations to council. It does not have power to veto... It does not have power to legislate. Now, this is happening now, already, before the voice is even put into our constitution and given teeth by our courts and advising us on everything, not just Aboriginal issues. And as explained previously, this again is totally untrue. And remember, there won't just be a voice in Canberra if Labor gets its way. The proposal is in fact for up to 35 regional voices around the country as well, advising councils, advising state governments, and they're going to have real power. Andrew has actually drawn that number from the 2021 co-design report prepared by Professors Langton and Kalmer. The number is yet to be determined and will only be done so following due legislative process. How they will work in relation to advising local councils and state governments, again, is yet to be determined. And any determination around this or any other aspect of the voice will be undertaken with community consultation and appropriate discussion, debate and voting in the Federal House of Representatives and Senate. It's also worth noting that Andrew is specific in his comments that the regional voices will advise various levels of government, which he, for some reason, immediately contradicts by saying, I quote, they're going to have real power, close quote. The reality is that the regional and national voices will not have the power that is being prematurely and falsely attributed to them by Andrew and other commentators. And when they do, who will dare stand in their way. So I've just given you a tiny glimpse of our future under this voice with Labor plans. And it'll be much, much worse than what you just saw and it'll be played out in every local, state and federal government in the country forever and ever. Please, save us from this racism and this bureaucracy. Vote no. Well, after hearing all that, it's my hope that you have an understanding of the critical need to do more than just listen to commentators and media representatives who provide commentary by means of selective editing, intentional misrepresentation and a failure to support their statements with appropriate and attributable research. And in keeping with the Victorian Aboriginal News' commitment to fair journalism, 
If you wish to point us to misinformation being presented by anyone on either side of the referendum debate, I'm only too happy to give it similar treatment. Until our next episode, stay safe and stay informed.